Have you ever thought about the fact that people in the church should have the healthiest relationships? After all, you've got a room full of people trying to look like Christ. So in theory, relationships in the church should be marked by love and joy and kindness, yet so often they are just as messy and just as broken as they are anywhere else. We decided that's not okay. So we sat down with some of our people and just started asking questions in an attempt to figure out where things have gone wrong. So if you felt for a while like there's something off about relationships in the church, you're not alone. And we'd love to invite you on this journey as we figure out what it looks like to do this well. Welcome to Something's Off. Hey, my name is Michael Coiner. I'm the pastor over young couples here at Christ Chapel Bible Church in the Fort Worth, Texas area. And welcome to a bonus episode of Something's Off. As I've walked alongside young couples, I've found that something is most definitely off with the way the church has historically engaged with the topic of sex. Most people get some form of the message, sex is bad and shameful, or save it for the one you love. However, the reality is that our God has created us to be sexual beings, and that God has also given us clear and countercultural instructions on how to best engage sex. So in a hookup culture full of swiping left and right, not to mention a culture where it's seen as irresponsible to get married before living together. How do we honor the fact that God has made us sexual while engaging in sex in the correct way? That's the question we ultimately set out to answer in this conversation with my friends, Rhonda, Jessica, Ryan, and Ben. We hope it makes you think, we hope it challenges you, and we hope it helps as you navigate this complicated world of relationships. I want to set us up with some facts and figures I think that are are pretty interesting. I think a lot of people listening may not kind of have this context. And just as we were researching, um, we're just looking at all the stuff and thinking, wow, this is different than what it was, you know, 50 years ago. Um, but so, so according to research, unmarried cohabitation has increased 900% over the last 50 years. So that's since the early 70s. Um, so trying out cohabitation is now a more common experience even than marriage. And, and according to Pew Research that was conducted among adults age 18 to 44, 59%, so almost 60%, have lived uh, with an unmarried partner at some point in their lives, while 50% have never even been married. Um, and what we're seeing from that is cohabitation and this idea of you know living together before you're married is overwhelmingly accepted uh, only 14% of the people say that um, cohabitation is never acceptable. And on the other hand, 69% say it's acceptable even if you don't plan on marrying. Uh, and that leaves about 16% that say cohabitation is acceptable, but only if the couple plans to marry. So that's a lot of facts and figures. That's not how we all live and make decisions in our in our day-to-day -day life. But here's the, here's the point that that makes to me is cohabitation outside of marriage is no longer taboo. If, if anything, the culture believes that refusing to live together and try it out, regardless of marriage being on the table, is actually irresponsible, yet the church is very much against cohabitation. So why? Why is that? Why is cohabitation such a big deal, and why would we care? Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think we care as believers because we think there's a better way. Uh, I, I think so often what gets lost in the gospel or, or just gets lost in religion and Christianity, specifically evangelical Christianity, is we don't, we don't dislike cohabitation for some moral standard reason. And this is the rules that you were breaking and God's created these arbitrary rules to rob us of joy and rob us of pleasure. And I think a lot of people on the outside, they see that. They think, okay, the church just doesn't want me to have fun here, and I'm not supposed to do this, and and it's just a killjoy. And I think the reality is, and I think where this conversation is and is going to go is because there's something better. We don't cohabitate, not because we're afraid God's going to be mad at us and spite us, but because there's actually a better way that God has designed for us to function. And I think people who are cohabitating, um, I don't blame them. You know, I think if, if they're not in Christ, if they're not trying to follow the design that was given to them by the designer, I, to be real honest, why wouldn't you, right? Like, I, I think it would be, uh, I get those numbers. Those numbers make a ton of sense to me. Those stats make a ton of sense to me uh, for a world that they're just trying to figure out the best way also. And, and so I think as believers, we've got to all take a breath and exhale and put down our judgment a little bit 
Obviously, we have to be discerning, um, mm-hmm. but I think we yeah. can put, lay down some judgment and and say, okay, they're they're seeking the best way. Also, mm-hmm. uh, we need to maybe change our tone and speak into, hey, we we think there is a sweeter way to do this. Yeah, I, I think in that vein, uh, I believe part of, part of what we're searching for is what's right. Like you said, what's the right person for me? How can I make the best decision possible? So I don't repeat bad things that I've seen in my family or my friends' lives or just seen out there. Um, let's talk for a second about what the motivations behind this season of life um, are where we're, we're making this choice that's so heavy and important, like who to be with. Like we all wanted to do what was right, right? Yeah. Well, some, I think some people want to do what's right, but it's also there's another motive that they want to do what, what feels right and what, what feels good, What what's... Uh, whether it's for the opportunities just to not have to drop each other off, you know, to 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 be sleeping in the same bed, but there's also a sense of security and arrival. I mean, it, it's nice. It's fun. It's got to be, you know, it's nice to be able to live together. So, yes, they might be wanting to do what's right, but I also think there's other motives involved. Yeah, totally. And also there's, you know, it's less expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even from a financial practical stance. Yeah. Like Only one Netflix one account. One rent. Yeah. <laughs> one rent. Let's be honest. We all share your Netflix account. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. We just got your password and we're all watching your Netflix. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up just because I feel like there's a lot of people who, um, I, I've heard this a lot where it's like, well, we're living together, but we're not sleeping together. And I think that's an important distinction of, you know, I think a lot of it is like, okay, well, you're putting yourself in those situations and there's a good chance that that's happening or is that really happening? But I think there might be some couples that really are just, we're going to get married eventually and we're saving money and we're going to be in different bedrooms. I still think even if that's your posture, I still think there is an intimacy and a part of the design that I still think there is a better way. Mm -hmm. And I think, man, we have got to wrap our heads around, man, maybe doing it a harder way at times, a denial at times. Man, if we could unpack, is it really better? Is it really deeper? Is it really sweeter? Is it going to be more fruitful? And if it is those things, that's what our world's looking for anyway. Mm. I love what you just said. That you just said denial on it. It was I was listening to this uh, another really good podcast the other day on culture and Christianity, and Mark Sayers was the guy that was on it. And he, I think, it's titled something like "True Individuality Is Only Found in Dying to Self," which is what made me think that, um, which can sound like pretty cryptic Christian language. Um, and maybe, maybe we can get to that later, but he was making this parallel between the amount of freedom that Westerners, you know, in the Western context in our world where we are today, um, that we have and the constant anxiety that comes along with all those freedoms that we have, for instance, the freedom to choose, we were just talking about choice. We just talked about making that right choice and the pressures that that adds to every choice we make because there's so many options like you scroll through amazon to try to find the best rated whatever it is um all that information you're taking in, i think that even bleeds into our personal lives and who we're dating you know like a dating app is basically amazon prime for (laughs) (laughs) right you just scroll until you find compatibility or chemistry or what you're looking for that hour um and I think that that just adds so much anxiety because the choices are endless. Like put yourself in a metro area and there's thousands of people that are looking, you think, for what you think you're looking for. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think I've seen that in relationships and I've seen that play out and people in our lives. And Well, um, and this is just occurring to me, but marriage, it changes you. It changes both people. Mm-hmm. And to test drive by cohabitating in a sense and like experiencing life together, you're not actually experiencing what marriage is. You're, you're experiencing something. It's like getting to test drive a really, you know, maybe a BMW and then you, you drive off with, with a Honda Accord. <laughs> Cause you it's know, more practical. I, I, yeah. I'm not trying to downplay <laughs> marriage and I know that really sounds like it sounds bad, but <laughs> it's marriage changes mm-hmm. you, yeah. right? People are in perpetual job interview mode. Before marriage, yeah, they have put they put they put their easy for me to say they mm. put their best foot forward, and when when you're married, all the little the the annoying things that that other person does, I can I can get over that, you know. Suddenly become I'm yoked to that. I have to be with that person mm-hmm. now forever, and you your irritability and all these things kind mm-hmm. of rise up. And I say that's all good. That's mm-hmm. God being good, but 
to think that you're getting to experience sort of what marriage is like in a cohabitating mm. relationship. It, it's it's different. Apples mm. and oranges. I think that's a great time. I think we should just jump in. I'd love to hear, and for just everyone listening online to just listen and hear the stories of these voices you're hearing talk right now. And so like, um, I'd love to just take a moment, just share where we're coming from today. Um, Rhonda, do you want to, do you want to go first? I'd love for you to share. Okay. Well, I, there's a lot to my story, but, um, as it relates to this particular conversation, um, I basically, I did have the church background with the teaching of not having sex before marriage and not sleeping or not sharing a a house together before marriage and so forth. Um, But I did not live out what I was taught and then experienced, I guess, a lot of consequences from that for years to come. Um, And then fast forward to my 30s, uh, started to really understand God's true design for marriage and for sex and what the Bible actually says about it and um, realized that that applies to me. And that was basically when, you know, my lifestyle changed and my life changed. Was it like a, like a, a switch that flipped or is just no, like slow understanding? And... <laughs> it was, a, I mean, it takes a lot to, I don't want to say unlearn, but undo some things that you've done. It takes a lot of time to, I guess, unravel a mess and I would consider my life a mess when I was a young adult. So it takes a lot of time to heal? Yes. And to shift gears. I mean, you can be told something, and you can believe it, but then applying it to your life is a whole different thing. And when you've lived a certain period of your life a certain way, with either with certain beliefs or with certain experiences that deeply affect you, it's really sometimes difficult to kind of go in a different direction. It takes time. Yeah. I would like to share about my um, my past in regards to when I um, lived with a guy. Um, I was in the Navy, and um, and we weren't, you know, rolling in the money. So it was a large financial gain to live with someone, and plus everybody was doing it, right? Um, and so I was. Um, my boyfriend and I, we were engaging in sexual activity and going from his place to my place. And we were like, oh, well, let's just make more sense for us to live together. And um, so I went into, oh, my gosh, I get to play house. And I cooked and I cleaned and I just was like so happy and just imagining, oh, this is what marriage is going to be like for me. And so I... Um, was going along and we were together for eight months and I was getting to the end of my time of being in the Navy. And I was a little anxious that, you know, when I get out, will I find a job right away? Will it take time? I don't know. And I mean, we've been together for a while. So I asked him, I said, well, if I'm unable to find a job right away, would you cover my part of the expenses until I'm able to find something. Just speaking out of fear, not out of like, I'm living on the couch for the rest of my time here. (laughs) Um, And he said, no. He um, flat out, no, you are responsible for your half. And I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what kind of commitment is this, you know? Mm. And then it just started to unravel in what I would say felt like a divorce because Mm. it's like, who gets the toaster? Who Mm -hmm. gets this? We bought this, but I don't want it. Do you want it? And it was just this Mm. heartbreak of a situation that just left me feeling really like I was duped, you know, like Mm -hmm. I just cooked and clean and did all this stuff for a lie Mm -hmm. because that's really Mm -hmm. what it came down to. So Mm. that's what I would share with somebody that is possibly thinking, oh, cohabitation is a great idea. Well, yeah. And even from the practical standpoint, it's practically made sense, but then it would, it practically hurt on the flip side. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Jessica. Uh, Ryan, what's your, what's your story? Um, I did not grow up in the church. I grew up, um, I mean, you know, we, Nominally, I guess we went uh, when my grandparents were watching. Um, but I uh, 
Someone shared the gospel with me when I was 16. I rejected. I became an atheist, dove headfirst into as much, really, uh, sex and drugs were the things. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to feel happy and alive. And I heard that you chose to go to where you went to school, to TCU. Uh-huh. Because, because Playboy had rated TCU the third best looking school yeah. in the country, and the girls <laughs> outnumbered the guys seven to one. <laughs> and that's pretty much Because I was not a Texan nor a Christian. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I, TCU I, all the way. What's that? TCU all the way. Go TCU. Frogs. You know, I'm think I'm thankful. <laughs> I went there because it was my freshman year. I came to Christ. You know, and um, and I would say, you know, I you know I had had, had sex in um, high school. Uh, I'm, I praise God, I wasn't that great at womanizing. I mean, you know, it wasn't like if it would have came come more natural to me, I would have a lot more of a of a history with that. But I've always been like lust has always been the primary or the first the the struggle of choice mm-hmm. um, for me. And so, I basically, uh, when Christ rescued me, it took a good solid year and a half for me to look like a Christian, still struggled in the background with lust. But I was like, I try, my goal wasn't to get a girl in bed, you know, like, but, um, I, and I continued to wrestle with that. But by the time I graduated from college, I mean, cohabitating wasn't, uh, even, uh, I wouldn't have even considered it because I was being yeah. called into ministry and stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm intimately acquainted with the struggles behind it personally. And so I yeah. relate. There's not a big feeling of judgment. Like, why would people do that? Oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I, uh, I kind of, I get to answer this from a couple different angles. I grew up uh, real religious, but also got a really good picture of what the gospel really is and, and really had genuine faith at a young age and walked that out and never really did the girl thing um, and kind of stayed away from that. And then I met this girl who just changed my life and she's the best thing that's ever happened to me, uh, Danielle, my wife now. And Danielle came from a, a season where she had had a lot of sexual sin in her life and I hadn't. And it was this cool thing that I got to speak grace into her life and really kind of get to model the grace that God has for us, that that stuff isn't held against her and that stuff isn't shame that she needs to carry. And she really is a new creation. And so our relationship really began in this place where I came in with a lot of purity and, and really was able to speak that into her life and for her really to walk that out. Cause that's true. But then fast forward into our relationship, that's kind of this, wow, really great Christian start to a relationship. Fast forward. Um, and we'd let our guards down a ton. And my leadership in our relationship was honestly really poor. And I think when I look back was really based on my own self-righteousness of, I'm fine. This would be good. And I've, you know, I don't really struggle with this that much. And we got good boundaries and a lot of it, we never cohabitated, but we, you know, we, we played the convenience card a lot. You know, we dated long distance and there were just so many nights where it's like, man, it's just so much easier to just crash at her house or stay here. And, you know, those kind of things became these very practical things that we did in our relationship that just made a lot of practical sense. And in doing so mixed with I think a faulty perspective, um, some fault, some lies that I was believing um, and just, poor leadership and maturity in me it really led us down our own road of just a lot of sexual sin in our in our relationship um and really i watched that almost destroy our relationship with this woman who praise god his grace is bigger than that um but this woman that i loved the only woman i've ever loved or, or cared about and um outside of my mom shout out mom um <laughs> but uh but really it was this it was this really in, incredible thing that i watched almost destroy uh, this beautiful thing that God's designed, but as I let it creep into our dating relationship, uh, really almost ruined us. And then on the back end, I've also gotten to see just the healing of that. Like even the even the destruction that I sowed into our relationship sexually, I've seen how God brings freedom. I've seen how how there can be freedom from that. And I, I want people to know that. I want people to see the, the restorative power of the gospel too. Amen. I mean, thank you all so much for sharing. Again, we don't share this kind of stuff in many of our contexts. I think this is super important to talk about. Um, You all have had a past where you had cohabitated, lived together, uh, had sex before marriage. And I think looking back where you are now, it's a perspective of, okay, that was me then. And a lot of you have like negative things to say about that. What, What do you... What do you do with it? Like, for me, the word that comes to mind is is shame or maybe just lies that you believed. What are some of the things that you would now categorize 
as those lies that you believed in that season? What was below the surface? What is it you wanted? And then what did you get? Um, well, I really believe that whenever my ex-boyfriend said that he loved me, that it that it, he meant it. But in the context of like, he did not love me as much as my spouse does. You know, there's something about the commitment of marriage that makes it so rock solid. Like mm-hmm. you're in the good, the bad, the frustrating, the, all of the different pieces. And it's, it, it, is something that you want the whole world to know that whenever you have this rental agreement as your agreement that can be broken very easily, that is not enough of a foundation. You just don't want it to be, you want it to be that I can trust that you have my back. And you can't get that with just a promise that's not a covenant. And that to me is something that... Um that I would really want for all of the girls out there to feel that, hey, you know, just because you cook, you clean, you do own laundry, you're doing all the wifely things, if there's not a, a commitment, there's not a ring on the finger, you are just, you're just being a servant and helping and being a fool in that regard. Because there's no guarantee that it's going to come back and he's going to back you up when you need it. I also, I think one thing I took away from those experiences in my life is um, if I could sum it in, sum it up into one word as baggage. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. honestly, it's, it's difficult moving forward. The more baggage you have, it's, I mean, I'm here today to say, you know, God's grace is sufficient. Um, but it is something you have to deal with. You, you have experiences, you have memories, um, you have to learn, or I had to learn how to not use the past experiences to compare, you know, in, in marriage. I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, the more experiences you have and the more um, baggage you have, then you have to practice not bringing those things into your marriage because that's super destructive. Mm. Um, yeah. You can miss out, you know, on a really special experience with your spouse if you are connecting you know, past memories and having, you know, having certain expectations and things like that. Where did shame come in? Like, where did that hit you practically? Well, I felt shame whenever, um, whenever he said like, no, I'm not here to support you. I felt like I was duped. Um, I felt shame whenever I started to come to the church and realize, wow, I have messed up so much already. Mm. I oh no, I can't tell anybody all of this baggage no. stuff. Um, I felt I felt foolish is really what it comes down more than anything in that I let my own selfish desires and me trying to um, get to the finish line quickly. You know, it's like people that run marathons, um, the reason why it's so like, wow, you ran a marathon is because they didn't get to that finish line quickly. It took them well over four hours. I've never run one, but mine may be six. Anyway, it would take a long time to get there. And the reason why is because there's so much time and energy and effort. And there's something beautiful about a finish line that involved Mm -hmm. all of that time, energy, and effort. I felt shame because honestly, I wanted to do those things. And I'd been told that it was bad or I was bad if I did do those things, yet I still had the desire. And there were times I really enjoyed it. And I knew I wasn't supposed to, or that's what I had been taught. Mm. Uh, And that's such a horrible perspective because sex is good. (laughs) Having sex is good in marriage. And so I had to like rework my brain, you know, to reteach myself that, they just didn't teach me the right way, you know, instead of explaining to me that um, those were very good things and things we should be excited about and look forward to. Um, instead, it was, it was, you were guilted if you did it, thought about it, wanted to do it. And so I was really confused about all that. And I had shame over the wanting to do it, I guess, and actually following through with it. Honestly, just backing up, basically, we're 
we're still just a little bit into this backing up. As we're talking about this, I'm realizing that this conversation has gone from cohabitation and this issue of living together before marriage, and it's really become um, more about um, sex and sexuality. And, you know, we keep thinking of the cohabitation, living together, that's the big red flag that people see because it shows that you're together or you're open to sex or you're maybe doing it. And that's what I think the judgy McJudgersons of us do. <laughs> like that's what we see. We see that car parked out there. That happened, you know, in my relationship, I the staff member was driving down the street and saw my car over at that house for, you know, it was 11 PM. Michael, what are you doing? Um, and so I, I get that. I get the dealing with the judginess of it, but um let me ask this something, Rhonda, you just, you touched on and, and Ryan uh, and probably Ryan, this is something I know you want to talk about. The question is, are sexual desires themselves inherently sinful? If not, what do we, what do we do with them until marriage? So this is for the single people. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I would say they are not inherently sinful. If um, by inherent, you mean like by nature, uh, no, God made us sexual beings. Um, I believe that Jesus experienced sexual desire. Uh, he, where he was a sexual being too. I, is I, the, the problem is we are so deeply touched by sin. Um, it's touched every part of us. That includes our sexual desires. And uh, I think sexual desires is one of the primary ways that God wants us to learn self-control. And I would say, make make no mistake. Self control is needed just as much, just as much in marriage as it is need needed prior to marriage. Uh, I mean, I saw some amens with head nodding. You know, yep. you obviously can't <laughs> see anybody, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's needed when when you're married. Uh, and yeah, this, that that is, I, I believe, we are being taught through those sexual desires to not be mastered by them. And um, but I would say to the question, yes or no, sexual desires. No, they are not sinful in and of themselves. You you mentioned so you mentioned pornography. That's mm-hmm. something like I, I want to talk about a little bit. But what about the person that is protecting themselves from physically slipping up? Like they're taking care of business on their own. They're relieving this sexual need that's been built up because they've been making out for like five hours on the sofa with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And they're relieving it, like they're relieving it by masturbating. Like that's, oh, it's fine. We didn't have sex, but I'm just going to do this and fix it. How do you protect yourself when your mind is so wrapped up in sexual desire and this is what you go to? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it ties to the same root issue of, um, man, Christ's design for this and him him functioning um, in a way that he's created this really, really good thing, but he's created it in a way uh, to to experience it in a specific way in marriage that we know of. Uh, and so whether it's, whether it's masturbation or whether it's, you know, premarital or whether it's intermarital affairs, um, I think all of that ties to the root issue of God calls us, denial is a part of our faith. Following Jesus and following Jesus in a deep, um, in a deep fulfilling way, there's going to be denial. Denial has like self-denial. This, self-denial. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> good. Yeah. Important, important distinction there. <laughs> uh, not just being in denial. Uh, yeah. That's, Den- that's shame. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Denying ourselves is just a part of what it looks like to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him. That's, that's a part of what we sign up for. And it's not just a killjoy. It's because he offers us life and life abundantly. And, and so we say, man, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to, to do it God's way, which might mean not taking advantage of immediate gratification in ways that I would want to right now, because I'm trusting that I have a designer who actually knows better than me. And so at the root of that obedience, whether it's masturbation or premarital sex or, you know, extramarital affairs at the root of that, I really believe is a sweet obedience to the Lord in trusting God, I think you know better, and I think you have something better, and and I think we see testimony of that in our own lives and in other people's lives of, wow, this was beautiful doing it His way. Um, but yeah, that's hard, and nobody's going to sit there and say, oh, it's easy, it's easy. Just don't lust, don't struggle. Those are all good. I mean, like sexual desires are good, but there's a there's a correct way to 
to function. Er- earlier, I loved what you said earlier about it's not about not cohabitating. God made a better way. Yeah. And I feel like in a similar way that this isn't just about self-denial. It is actually about being about what God created us to be about doing. That like he's called us to be loving one another, to be serving others, to be busy. And there's a sense in which if we lose sight of that and we lose sight of our purpose and we lose sight of, you know, and just kind of think only about our future or our own desires, this becomes a really difficult battle. But I know that if, I heard a guy say, uh, he was struggling, it was a pastor who's struggling with sexual integrity and stuff, and he said, but I got, when when he was younger, he got, he, he lost a good friend of his, his good friend of his died, and the family asked him to do the funeral, and he had to go to, you know, his home and his hometown, and be with the family, comfort them, write this funeral, give it, uh, this memorial service, whatever. He said he got back to you know, college where he was, and he realized he hadn't struggled with lust at all over the past few days because he'd been so busy serving and loving and preparing this stuff. And then on a slightly different note, a similar point here, Lauren Winner uh, wrote a book called Real Sex, and in it she cites a study that showed that the highest predictor of teenage girls remaining chaste uh, was their participation in team sports. She's, they, the study shows that girls learning to inha- they learned in a team sports context to inhabit their bodies in good, robustly physical ways. They experienced community in their teams. They they were about inhabiting their bodies in a way that was productive, and that was the biggest single predictor of them not having premarital sex. Mm. It was really interesting. So there's something positive for all of, all of us to be focusing on, not just don't do this, don't do this. Yeah. yeah, we're not just saying no to something, we're saying yes to something that we're trusting is better. Yeah. And that's what it is. What I'm hearing you say is, yes, follow Jesus deeply and pursue that better or get into team sports. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's what, I, that's what I got out of that. I, yes. I got that. I, so if the Jesus thing isn't working for you and you're struggling yes. with it, try then team sports. Join the ultimate frisbee. Or specifically <laughs> female team sports. Get on a softball team or a Especially WNBA team. as a guy. Team. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that's good. I mean, I think that's great. But the cool thing about that is like at the foundation, you know, beyond biblical foundation, you're in community with people. Mm-hmm. Every one of those examples you just gave, Ryan, were about other people mm-hmm. and you have now put your needs on hold and you're focusing on something other than yourself. You're focusing on what the team needs and what the team wants. Yeah. You're focusing on your physical endurance as it relates to winning for the team. You're focusing on yeah. this grieving family. My struggle with lust spiked in the middle of the COVID quarantine stuff. I was spending all this time. I mean, I would do my job, but there's a good portion of my time. I would just be alone that became like, this is like, this just felt, I felt, you know, that lust just growing during that yeah. time period. I actually reached out to Ben in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I answered, but yeah, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's so true, man. We, we've got to be stepping into those things that God's called us. It's not mm-hmm. just, it's not just a killjoy who doesn't want us to enjoy things. Yeah. He has better things for us. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that filling your, sorry, it's, and that filling your, your bucket of self and self-interest and what I need and what I want. It's, it gets so full, but if you're focusing on that, you're not focusing on how to pour out into what other people need and want, mm-hmm. and you you can step into and kind of be selfless in that, and I think that's a huge part of the remedy. Yeah. I was just going to add um, one thing that I recognize, too, in my own life is the more I focused on Jesus and, like, who is he and what what does that mean? in my life and what direction do I want to take my life? Then I focused less, focused less on what am I doing wrong? And it didn't keep me tied to that oddly, maybe, Mm. but it's good. If I focus more on the stuff and the junk and what not to do Mm. and the rules and Mm -hmm. the list, then it kept me tied to it. But I had to turn my attention a different direction and just you know, put my, and it sounds maybe yeah. churchy, but I just had to get my well, eyes on honestly, Jesus and keep moving in that yeah. direction. I mean, I think a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, that's the answer I'm supposed, like everyone just says more Jesus. And I I just wanted to ask you the follow-up to that. I don't, I don't know, but did you just do that on your own one day or did, was there well, like someone 
mentoring you, leading you, <laughs> and like helping you figure that out? No. Well, initially, it was my life had fallen apart, kind of. So I was just trying to figure out what is the right, you know, you talked about what is the right thing or what is the right direction? And I was just desperate for something other than what I had experienced already and just the hurt and the brokenness. And, you know, for me, like I said, it took a long time for this to happen. So maybe a little more dramatic in some ways than a lot of people would experience it. But I just, I had to say, God, where are you? I need to find you. I need to, I need to know who you are. Like, what is this all about? And the more I focused on that and learned about Jesus, actually, just who is he? And just kept focusing on that. And that was just something I had to do on my own. I didn't have anybody at the time around me. And I just, I was trying to find any person at church who I felt like I could trust because I didn't trust anybody. I didn't think anybody would want me there. I thought I would get kicked out of church if they knew my life and knew how I lived my life. Um, you know, it points more to the faithfulness of God in pursuing you. Yes, I, I, I relate to that because I mean it was very awkward, I, but I did it a lot early on by myself because I was I didn't trust people yet. But mm -hmm. as soon as other people mm -hmm. have been in my life, I think there's been a lot quicker roads to just experiencing mm -hmm. wholeness and joy. Absolutely, and, mm -hmm. I yeah. think too. Just for anybody listening, I, I'm I, this has happened a couple times in this conversation. But there's this fear of walking into church feeling like, oh no, if mm -hmm. they knew. Yeah. Not only if they knew what I did struggle with, but what I am struggling mm -hmm. with, what I'm currently living in. Oh yep. my goodness, if I get found out. And I hope anyone listening to it even feels encouraged that this is a, a conversation with multiple different people on a church staff, mm -hmm. a couple of different pastors in pastoral roles, and it is all a part of our stories as well. Mm -hmm. And churches are filled with broken people yes. who are pointing to a restorative God. And, and I think there's so much judgment that, yeah, some of that's really, there, there are churches that have done a bad job of that, but I think we take on so much shame that, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of broken people standing up there who, yes, are living set apart, not because they figured it out or never made the mistakes, but because they ran back to the one who knew better. Yep. And this idea of he has a better way, that, that's all it is. Not because yes. we did it right, right. but mm -hmm. because, oh man, by his grace, look how he's restored. Look how he's still using you know, us. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Mm. Absolutely. So we get to interact with this whenever we've developed a relationship that's safe with, with individuals, with couples. And I think like, Ben, I don't know what your answer to this would be, but what would you tell someone debating about living together before marriage and the whole, like, that's a, that's a bag of questions right there. But cause that happens. Like, that'll ha that the topic comes up and so often i think in the church because of shame because of our own personal shame or we're not ready or mature yet or we haven't had that in our past so we don't know what to do with it we just kind of recoil or let that hang out there and let that person hang out to dry when they've opened up about it um, and refuse to speak into it yet we'll turn on the judgment cap and be like judgy judge 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 mm -hmm. what would you tell somebody yeah, I think I think it depends, and this is just you know for me personally and my personal convictions. Uh, I think it depends on if they are following Christ mm -hmm. and if they're in Christ, and I think if they're if they're not in Christ or desiring to follow Christ, I think it massively reframes how I would approach that. And honestly, my goal for somebody not following Christ isn't that they stop cohabitating. My goal is that they fall in love with Jesus. Like let's 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 get there first, because also I don't I don't know how to talk to somebody about you know waiting for something better when you don't even know Christ like mm -hmm. that doesn't even make sense and so i really don't blame them and and i'm i think even first corinthians chapter 5 the end of chapter 5 talks about it's not my role to judge those who aren't in the faith um now i, I do think there's a lot of practical things i still want to encourage people with but i think that determines a lot now if they are in Christ um and they want to follow Christ and they profess to desire to follow Christ then i think it really is sitting down and talking about not just what does God want from you as the sense of his rules, but why did he put that there? Um, his His boundaries are put there um, for our good. And do we believe that? And do we trust that? And and let's look at some of those boundaries. I think the idea of boundaries, if, man, you're listening to this and you're a Christian couple or you've been around that, man, that word boundaries gets thrown around <laughs> in Christian circles mm -hmm. so much. And it's so hard for us to not roll our eyes to it. I think I would want to reframe the idea of boundaries, that boundaries aren't this, um, 
this beating and this exhausting thing. And, oh, I got to have a curfew with my girlfriend and I've got to have all these boundaries of how far we're willing to go or if we're kissing, but we can't kiss on the couch because it, like, it becomes exhausting. And I think my encouragement would be, can we reframe boundaries to not be seen as such a negative, but can we reframe boundaries to be seen as worship? Can I see boundaries as an opportunity to worship God, to step into it, to see a, a boundary and say, I want to glorify God in the same way that, you know, if I'm, if I'm fasting in a season, um, I'm denying myself something, whether I'm fasting from social media or I'm fasting from, a, you know, a meal or whatever that looks like. And it becomes this really sweet, worshipful thing to say, man, he's so much better and the intimacy I get. And I am so willing to trade denying myself here in the season because what I get is so much sweeter. Take that concept and apply it to relationships that God's designed, that he wants to be sweet and he wants to be fruitful and he wants to be joy-filled and abundant. Um, I, th- I think that's where I'd go. I think I'd say, man, are you wanting to follow Christ? And if so, where is life and life abundant going to be found? We're all chasing after the, the same thing. We want abundant life. Let's dig in deep and figure out where that's found. Jessica, what's that looked like for you with couples that are living together? Um, Well, to me, let's just say that they're a couple and they hear about this and they're like, you know what? I do love Christ. I want to make this right. Uh, What do I do? I I personally believe that... um, that you need to have a real transparent conversation of where are we going? And once you understand, um, whether it's the girl that says it or the boy that says it and says, hey, we need to pray about this. We need to have, in essence, a tripwire. By this date, we're going to come together and we're going to say yay or nay. And if it's there's something powerful about unity. And whenever both of you can agree that it's a yes, it's a go, then all right, let's make it right. Let's, you know, get into separate apartments for six months, get the wedding all set up, abstain from sex. Let's redeem the relationship that is currently there because our our God is a redeeming God. And it's not past tense, it's present tense, it's constant, it's always available to us. And if it comes together, whenever it's that date, and one is a yes, and one is a no, that is a no for both of you. And then that just means that it is time to find a new path. And as awful and harsh as it is, you have to make that choice or otherwise you're just in a boat without a rudder and you're just puttering along and not going in any direction. To eventually experience what you experienced, which exactly. is a form of feeling, experiencing divorce. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. So I think it just comes down to just being real and honest and being direct about what you want. What is your goal? What are you hoping for? So this question is for the person who followed the rules. God created sex and said it's good. When God says something's good, it's never bad. And we believe that the abuse or misuse of a good thing can be bad. But once God declares something good, it's it's good, period. Like that's that's the end of the story. But somewhere along the way, though, we've, we've gotten lazy, I think, as church people in our verbiage. Um, and we've started referring to sex as bad. We've, we've been talking about that a little bit too. Like, But the result of that is it's it's tough for some people to think of sex is bad for 20 something years and then turn that type of thinking off once they're married. So in light of this, how do you not feel shame on your wedding night? This may be oversimplified. I think we have to constantly remind ourselves of truth. And like you just said, I mean, do we believe that God is real? Do we believe that he made everything and that everything he made is good. Yeah. Do we believe that he he made sex? Yeah. Because if we believe those things, we believe the Bible, then we, we have to believe that sex is good. Um, it's again, I've touched on this, a, I think a little earlier, just turning in the right direction as far as what is truth? What do I need to focus on? Just moving in that direction. And it's hard sometimes, I think for some of us, but being able to focus on God's truth and believing it um, is the only, I mean, it, it sounds oversimplified, I guess, but that's the only thing I can, I can say is just that that has to be 
a conversation that we have and keep having over and over again. I would say that the um, it's it's not the end of the world if your wedding night isn't amazing. <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, I, that's why you got married. You can just keep doing it again and again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, <laughs> it was. I think for many people, it's like pleasantly awkward. Um, now, will shame follow you in? I, I think that it 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 might that that because I, I I've talked to a lot of people. That's mm-hmm. the case too, mm-hmm. but I. I believe we need to learn how to take whatever we're experiencing, and this is God's intent for us, and we go to Him with, with everything. We don't just go to Him on Sunday mornings or when we go to Bible study or when we have our quiet time in the morning, but we learn to turn to Him with, with all parts of our day. But I, I, would, I would add to that all of our feelings. God wants us to come to Him when we're experiencing joy, when we're experiencing anger, when we're experiencing shame and and. and he wants us to talk to him about that stuff. So if you want to find a, a kind of a straight line out of that place of experiencing shame in your in your sex life and marriage, mm. so you talk to him about it and um, nothing's off limits. So, mm. Well, I know for me, um, I mean, truth is, yes, I had premarital sex and yes, every time I did, um, once I've found out that it was bad. So let's just be real about that. Um, um, I was washed with guilt. I was washed with guilt that I had no self-control. I was washed Mm -hmm. with guilt because I let God down. And I was washed with guilt because I let myself down. You know, like I am going to be so much stronger this time. And then I would just fall. And I honestly thought, truly, I would experience that for the rest of my life. I mean, I didn't get married until I was 30. So I had a lot of years of, yep, I really had a lot of guilt. But on my wedding night, um, after having sex, it was no washing of guilt. It was like I had a freedom Mm. and it was beautiful. And so, um, and that's the reason why I'm always going back to Jesus is a redeemer in present tense. He can redeem even me. He can redeem anybody. So, Mm. I think the coaching I would give to on that is part of it is a rewiring that has to happen on the back end. We were told so long, no, no, this is bad. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And then your point, then when you get married and then it's like, oh, now this is good. This is good. It's okay. It's okay. Um, and Have I think babies part, even. <laughs> right. Right. Go do it. This is a good thing. I think part of it comes from, we need to make sure we're not saying, oh, this is so bad. This is so bad on the front end. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. yes, there's a part of rewiring on the back end that God kind of helps us heal and rewire. But I think on the front end too, just an encouragement of that we don't look at it as a, as a bad thing. We look at it as a beautiful, good thing that we are looking forward to. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that helps. Good word. Okay, so a friend of mine was telling me the other day that when he was in high school, his buddy's mom told his, his buddy, her son, that she wanted him to have as much sex as possible <laughs> so he could be good at sex by the time he got married. And that that might shock some of us in Christian circles or some of some people listening, but that's actually a really common train of thought. Um, what would, what would you say to people who feel this pressure that they have to feel or be good at sex by the time they get married? Well, this, this, yeah, this question reminded me of when I was younger and you might laugh at this, but I loved to country dance when I was younger and I had a group of friends who would go out dancing. So I basically had a built in dance partner and in the beginning, we weren't the smoothest things out there. And it took a <laughs> bit, you know, just to kind of figure it out and whatever. Um, but over time, and, and I will say this, even in the beginning, as we were stepping all over each other, we had a blast. Like we had a blast. We were laughing, having a great time. Over time, the more and more we danced, the better we got. And we got to be like really, really good. And we had even more fun. And I didn't realize in the beginning, like, how much fun that would be down the road. And I didn't think, you, you know, it's like, you don't know how much fun that's actually going to be. And then on the flip side, I also didn't look back at the beginning and go, oh, wow, that that wasn't great at all. I was like, no, that was fun, you know. And part of the fun was the learning process and learning together and kind of figuring out each other's styles and nuances and whatever. But also, I wasn't dating this guy. We were always out with our friends. So that was pretty obvious. And other guys would come up and ask me to dance. I was a great dancer at that point, but I go out with a new guy and it's, it's totally different. It's like, well, here's a different person with a different 
style, you know, different rhythm, whatever. And I'm stepping on his toes all over again, you know? Hmm. And so I know that may sound kind of like a silly comparison, but... Wait, I asked about this and you're talking about dancing. What's I know, the, right? What's <laughs> the dance dancing in metaphor? I don't see this dancing, connection. Dancing on the dance floor, dancing in... I don't <laughs> know. But, sex on the dance floor? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> but I mean, the point being is like, you're two individual people and you're the person that you marry, you two people are becoming one. And it's about this experience, this unique and special experience that you're going to have together. It is not going to be like anything else you've experienced before. And you definitely, you know, want to, I would say, try to avoid, again, that mentality of, oh, I need to learn these things and bring them into that marriage bed. <laughs> um, that could be disastrous. Yeah. But I mean, but that's a different person. So there is no, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that, oh, I've got to go figure this out and learn it because this person is going to be your person and that's part of the journey. It's part of, you know, growing together and, and becoming one. Yeah. If, if somebody hasn't heard this a dozen times already uh, on this recording, sex is a good thing. It's designed by God and it's so much deeper and so much richer than I think even our world knows how to wrap their yeah, hands around. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think yeah. a lot of that mentality comes from a misunderstanding that sex is this series of techniques that we do, that mm -hmm. they're these pleasure techniques, this exercises that mm -hmm. we can do. And that it, to step into it in that way it is honestly, it's so much better than that. Yeah. It mm -hmm. is a bonding and a connection and a trust and an intimacy designed by God that is so much more than your physical ability that you can practice. Yep. And, and if you and if you really have an understanding of the designer's design for sex, then to just think you can practice intimacy and trust and bonding, like mm. you don't, it doesn't practice. Like mm -hmm. it's things that you develop. It's this yeah. beautiful thing. And so even stepping into that not only reveals a misunderstanding, a really immature misunderstanding of sex, but it also r reveals that like you're going to be practicing the wrong thing yeah. mm. and yep. you're going to show up to the game and think, okay, I've got the techniques down and it's going to be awkward because God's designed it to be so much better yeah. than that and yeah. so much deeper. And now you've built muscle memory in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in the young couples world, there's also this comparison game that happens when there's certain couples that are like, oh, we always do it here. And, and everyone's swapping stories, or at least the girls are, and then maybe the guys are. And of course you talk about it because you're, you're, forced to compare like oh we don't we don't do it that often like and then you're you're getting it outside of something that's between the two of you and you're letting even even your friends that i think can be categorized in this external cultural um comparison that then it's not it's no longer about you and your spouse it's about what your friend said now we have to incorporate that and in to see if that's fun and and I, I think there's some good and bad to that, but I think ultimately, I think a lot of couples that are younger are wrestling with this, oh, it has to be like this and look mm -hmm. like this and be this often and be this way and always be awesome and just better and better all mm -hmm. the time. And that's just not the case and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, just with those expectations are being set up and Paul Tripp calls them premeditated resentments. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. I remember, I remember that too. I hearing the stories from other people and thinking, well, we didn't have done it in every room in the house, yeah, you know? Right. Um, I, I think that what you were saying, it made me think of first Corinthians six, that Paul describes sex as a uniting act. And I don't know, remember where I heard it, but someone called sex spiritual and emotional glue. Mm -hmm. It, it's meant to unite two to become one. And I mean, you don't practice that. And then, you know, and glue doesn't get better with practice. It's meant to happen once. And then, you know, the cohabitating and moving apart, it's, it's a painful separation. God designed it to be this way. Um, and frankly, it's, if you think of sex as just techniques, I kept on thinking, this kept, kept coming to my mind, is that you can be too good at sex in marriage where it's creepy, <laughs> right? Where like, if you, if it's just, it, it's a beautiful uniting of two souls. It's not a set of moves and plays mm -hmm. where you practice that beforehand. Uh, that actually does, it has the opposite effect. Yes. It brings somebody else into bed with you. And it's, it, that practice and that mentality uh, pollutes the beauty, the beauty of it. I think so many people listening to what we just said, um, 
which was basically getting at it's so much more than just physical talent. Like that is not sex. It's not a set of moves. It's not a playbook. Um, you're not like, <laughs> I mean, the Kama Sutra is a, is a book. And I think that that's sometimes what a lot of people would go to asking a question like, you know, bluntly, how do you learn what to do? If you've, if you're waiting all this time and then you get married and like, well, you're worried, like you're a planner, you're a type A and you're going into your, your wedding night or your honeymoon thinking, this is supposed to be fun. I just put all this money down on this resort. We're going to be in for a week and we're supposed to be having a lot of sex. Well, how am I supposed to, to do it? But I think what y'all just said is so good to answer that question. It's, it's more than physical talent. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's about coming together and communicating and being one. And that doesn't happen. Like you said, Ryan, it, it's supposed to happen instantly um, in some ways, but the growing together is not instant. It's really listening and loving and, caring about another person that's going to make you good at sex absolutely yeah it's being real and vulnerable of like um i like this i don't like that just that sort of like transparent like your analogy with dancing i do this move and then you'll go over here and do this and it's that open communication that gives insight into what your partner is enjoying or not enjoying and you want to meet them where they are and to give them as much pleasure as possible in that safe space. Yeah. 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 We, we talk about it like while it's happening <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and, gig- and giggle about it yeah. too. It's like, yeah. there's, sometimes it's funny and you just, if you don't laugh, it makes it worse. You just laugh. <laughs> yeah. So, so true. I think statistically we can assume that most people listening to this have not saved sex for marriage. We talked about numbers up at the beginning, but what would you say to someone who feels like they've done it all wrong? For me, I know that before marriage, especially as a Christian, I felt like every mistake I was making was going to be like taking out some sort of debt Mm. that I would pay for in my marriage. Mm. And it didn't help me. That didn't help me behave any better. It made Mm -hmm. it worse. Like, I think that's where shame really, like, started to, t- to um, weigh me down, where I feel like here I am ruining my possibility of a future great life and a great marriage because I know, like, God sees my heart, and he, every, every mistake I'm making is just going to be, I just have to pay back for it in a, in a poor quality in my marriage. And my experience, and Brandy had her sexual sin, too, before, and I thought, I thoroughly expected those things to haunt the marriage bed, <laughs> just to, you know, to just kind of be brought in and, and have memories and stuff. And my experience, and I think Brandy would say the same, is it, it's kind of like an old movie we sort of remember seeing. Like God, God took away the, a lot of, I, none of that happened. I feel like for, in, in our case, he really brought grace and you know, forgiven sin was behind us, and it just was a non-issue. I only say that to give hope to some people yeah. who might struggle with shame because you're not doing it right. God is very gracious. I will say, and I want to add in, it wasn't just previous sexual experiences though that threaten to to be brought into the marriage. It's also like pornography, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the other things. I mean, that that's a form of comparison too that yep. that easily gets actively fed even inside the marriage mm-hmm. um, mm. because it's a more acceptable form of adultery, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, and more hidden. And more hidden, yeah. Yeah, I would also say just we need to remind ourselves that we're walking, in walking towards marriage, we're walking right towards the design that God made for sex and for us. So we should be super excited about that. I think that's something to celebrate. Absolutely. And I would just like to add that that grace also comes from each other. Yeah. You know, that mm. if you come into contact with somebody who's struggling, um, you know, our experiences teach us that, yeah, that mistake was painful and it caused a lot of hurt. And I want to help my friend who is hurting to not hurt anymore. Mm. So we need to be able to offer that God redeems. Jesus is for you, and it doesn't always have to be this way. Thank you all so much for having this conversation with me today and for just being brave enough to to open up and share about a topic that isn't really addressed very often at church. And I think that's, you know, like we've said, part of the problem is we're not bearing our souls like you all just did. And thanks for being guinea pigs, even in our ministry here um, to couples and to young adults. Um, at Christ Chapel here in Fort Worth. I I think that that's just huge. Um, And I'm so thankful for each of you, each of your stories 
that you've shared your perspectives and the lessons that that you learned that I'm, I'm hoping that people listening can can apply and and reach out to us uh, about in their in their chapter of life so yeah thanks, thanks. for having us yeah. yes thank you it's a pleasure I'm really grateful to those who participated in this conversation. Ben Fuquay, Jessica Ballou, Rhonda Fagala, and Ryan McCarthy. Our researcher was Josh Story. If you're looking for more on this community of people who are honest about both the fun and challenging things of life, or if you're questioning why these people would put Jesus first before their own desires when it comes to this topic, check us out at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw. I'm Michael Coiner. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.